Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. And I know this is a different setup. I'll talk about that in a second. First, I wanted to really address some things with Father's Day. I know that this day is, for some people, difficult who maybe have not had a father. It's uh, not an uncommon thing for to grow up, people to grow up in a family where the father is missing. I know that that was a part of my life for many years, uh, and maybe that's been a part of your life as well, or maybe you've lost your father, and so this day brings up sorrow because you remember the father you had, and he's not in your life anymore, and I understand the difficulty in that. And so there's a lot of emotions, even though we celebrate this day as Happy Father's Day, I recognize that in it there is also some difficulties that can be hard to deal with at this time, and we want to acknowledge that difficulty in your life and recognize that there is a loss or an absence there. Even as Randy shared, though, earlier, we want to acknowledge that we have a heavenly Father who desires to be a part of our life and to fill the needs that even our earthly fathers were unable to fill. It's so interesting how Scripture uses so many metaphors to give us an understanding of who God is because how can we grasp who God is? He's too immense. He's too big. But then we have this idea of a father. And then we have Jesus saying, if you have your child and he asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for fish, are you going to give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so there is this connection. He he helps us to recognize that you actually understand a little bit about God because of what you understand about yourself in this area of fathers. And so happy Father's Day. Again, if this is a difficult day for you, we, we, we are hurting with you. We acknowledge that with you. And so that brings us to today's talk, 
and we're going to be looking at what matters most. Part four, we're looking at embracing the future. Now, when I put this picture up on the social media, Randy sent me a text message and say, what song should I sing? Because I think he was a little confused of what was happening here. And I told him, and we sent out this thing, as you maybe noticed, or I've heard a few people talking about, oh, it's set up different today. We don't usually set up in the round like this, right? And somebody's like, what's going on? And, and change is strange, right? It's strange for me. I'm here in the middle looking at you guys, and I'm like, I don't know who to look at right now. And, and so it's a little awkward, and it puts us in an uncomfortable place because it's pushing us out of our comfort zone. But one of the things that we need to recognize, and even as we've talked about the building, it's not about having a comfort zone. It's about pressing forward into the things that are ahead. When I was in Haiti, the times that I've been in Haiti, I was amazed because here is the most impoverished country in the Northern Hemisphere. And as I was going through, and you would find, you know, in the middle of nowhere, I'm talking about on top of a mountain, you cannot see a street. You, there's a dirt road that got us there, but you cannot see buildings except for little houses. But everyone has a cell phone. And I had cell reception on top of this mountain in the middle of nowhere. Here at Foothill and Mountain, I've got no reception. If I go to Chipotle, I've got one bar. But on a mountain in Haiti, I've got full bars. I don't know. Just throw that out there. We say we're advanced, but I'm telling you. And you see, part of that is that this has become a means of actually being able to conduct business, that they do transactions through their phone. It's how they get paid a lot of the people or transfer money, send money to families. And so the cell phone has become commonplace. As you know, we're working with the St. Andre's School. When we talk about schools and trying to provide things for the children, a lot of times we think, oh, let's get the kids some textbooks and let's get them some paper and pencils. But you see, it costs a lot of money to make textbooks and it costs a lot of money to ship textbooks from here to Haiti. It's cheaper to give the children tablets where they can actually download and get that information. And you think, wait a second, this is supposed to be, you know, a, a third world country. This is supposed to be a place where it's impoverished. How can they have tablets? We think of that as advanced, but we don't understand that the future is already here and that has now become commonplace in a country like Haiti. And so we have to change the way we're thinking. And sometimes that change is a little awkward for us because we're not sure exactly where we're supposed to go. But even though change is uncomfortable, it's good. It's good that things have changed. Aren't you glad cell phones have changed? <laughs> I had the brick. I loved that phone. They don't have the razor in there. That was another favorite, right? Who had a razor, right? Slick, that was the cool phone. And you guys remember your first cell phone, don't you? It's like, yes, the future is in my hands. No matter how big it was, and then the flip phone, I remember I got my wife the Motorola flip phone, and I thought that was cool. The kids got the razor, and then I was a BlackBerry fan. I held on for as long as I could, 
until I finally broke down, got Apple, and now I, that's it. They changed the world with the touch screen. But aren't you glad things have progressed? Aren't you glad that someone said, I want to do something different. I want to push this envelope. I want to do more with what we know, not only in cell phones, but in all areas of life. It's amazing how things that before would seem crazy to us are now normal. That actually people meeting online is a norm nowadays. They say there's 54,250 single people in the United States from the age 25 to I think it was 60. I don't know how they got that number, but that's what the statistics said. This was last year. Okay, 54,250 Out of that number of people, 49,250,000 have tried online dating. And you, you might be thinking, what? What? How could that be? It's common now. Okay. eHarmony has 16,500,000 members. Match.com has 25 million or 23,575,000 members. So those commercials you see, and I don't know about Christian Mingle or whatever that one is too, you know, how many they have. And all of a sudden you're starting to see that, well, this is starting to become the norm. And no matter what you feel about it, whether you like it or don't like it, it's here. And there are millions and millions of people engaged. I know so many people who have met online through Facebook or some other social media. First, they started stalking them. You guys know what I'm talking about. They're looking at their pictures, finding them. They say, oh, I like this guy. Seems like a nice guy. He's into these sports or he seems active and, you know, oh, they're cute, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, there's the attraction, but it began online. Why? Because that's the way things are. It's how the world has changed. And change, as uncomfortable as it is, is necessary. And how we deal with change is so important. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. We're going to be looking at David, David and his mighty men. Now, David is in transition. The whole nation of Israel is in transition. David knows that he is going to be anointed king because Samuel has went there and basically prophesied over him saying, hey, you're anointed. This is going to be your role. But he's not king yet. In fact, Saul is still after him. So he's in this transition. He's in this place where he's going from the, you know, shepherd boy to the guy who slew Goliath to the guy who, you know, took cheese to his brothers to the guy who played the harp for the king, the guy who was a warrior who, I mean, this guy does it all, right? He, he plays the harp. He slays the giant. Just one of those kind of guys. And now Saul is jealous of him because he is doing so well, because God's anointing is on him, that Saul wants to kill him. So he's running for his life. And so he's in this transition. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, These were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to the sling stones, right-handed or left-handed. 
they were relatives of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, why is he telling us they could sling stones right-handed or left-handed? Because it was necessary, right? It would made them more valuable. They could do a layup with the right hand or the left hand, right? If you can do that, you, you've got a little bit more to worry about. This guy can shoot either way. I can cut off his right arm, but he can hit me with the left. And so these guys are talented. And it tells us that some of them actually were relatives of Saul, who was after David. It shows us the favor that David had. Go down to verse 8. It says, some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the wilderness. They were brave warriors, ready for battle, and able to handle the shield and spear. Their faces were the faces of lions. I love that. And they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. Faces of lions. I don't know if they just had beards, and they're just like burly-looking guys, or something else, but the whole point is they were furious. And they were like gazelles. They were fast and furious. (laughs) Someone should start a a show with that. And what he's telling us is these guys were able to take care of business. They were there to handle the things that were taking place with David. They were in solidarity with David And so they are ferocious, they were courageous, and they were able to adapt to the situation that was at hand. Because the transition is taking place. David, even though he's on the run, they are going to him because they see in him the leadership that they desire. And so they know the transition is taking place, and so they go to him wanting that transition to take place. It goes on in verse 23. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him, as the Lord had said. From Judah, carrying shield and spear, 6,800 armed for battle. From Simeon, warriors ready for battle, 7,100. From Levi, 4,600 including Jehoda, leader of the family of Aaron with 3,700 men, and Zadok, a brave young warrior with 22 officers from his family. From Benjamin, Saul's tribe, 3,000, most of whom had remained loyal to Saul's house until then. From Ephraim, brave warriors, famous in their own clans, 20,800. From half the tribe of Manasseh, designated by name to come and make David king, 8,000. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do, 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their commands. And it goes on, it lists name after name with thousands and thousands. And what we're seeing here is that this is not just one group, but it's a lot of groups getting together that are starting to become a force that are going to bring about the change of Israel and David to the place where he is on the throne. And these men made this happen. Oh, David gets all the acknowledgement, but none of what David had would have taken place if it wasn't for all these people. And I love verse 32, where it says from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 
These were the chiefs, the people who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. What were the times? Transition, change. The kingdom is changing. David is coming in and we know what needs to take place for this to happen. Now, this isn't a comfortable time. These guys are wandering. They don't have a set home. There isn't a place where they live and dwell in safety. It's not comfortable, but the change is taking place through them. I think so many times we think that when things are comfortable, things are good. When, when, and that's what we strive for. How can we get, say, a building? Let's get a building so that we can have our own place and just be comfortable. That sounds nice. Is that the goal? No, the goal was something else. The goal was the change of the kingdom. And I wonder what is the goal that we have as followers of Christ? What is our goal? What are we pushing for? Are we pushing for so we can get comfortable? Let's get enough people. Let's get enough chairs that have padding. I know we want padded chairs. Let's make sure we have air conditioning. Let's get in a place where things are comfortable. Is that really what this is about? Or is there a transition taking place in the kingdom that we represent, that we're transitioning to, and what we are doing is pushing forward? Do we understand the times? Do we recognize what we need to do? Because what's vital for us to understand is that if there's going to be change, you can either be part of it or you can be left behind. Because change is going to take place. It was about 11 years ago, I was reading an article. And as I was reading this article, it was challenging me. I was working at a church at the time. And I had, it was a good job. Everything was going well. But all of a sudden, this article that I read talked about how there was a a really ineffective communication taking place from those who were of faith to those who were outside of that faith. And that there is this small sliver of people who are actually making roads into these areas and reaching people who the church has not been reaching through their regular methods. Now, I've been a follower of Christ for a lot of years, 30 plus years. And I can remember going to churches and we put on concerts and people would come to the concerts and they'd have the altar call and then people would come forward, give their lives to Jesus. And it was like, oh, this is cool. This is great. And then I remember as the years go by, they'd put on concerts and pretty soon the only people who came to the concerts were the Christians, right? So now the Christians are coming and they're saying, oh yeah, we like this band, we'll go here. Oh, we like that band, we'll go there. And pretty soon it just became this traveling thing where all these Christians go to the different places to see their group play and that was what it was. But for many churches, they still held on to that. No, we're gonna have concerts. Why? Because concerts used to work a long time ago. Let's have concerts again. What if we were that way? We're gonna have a concert next Sunday morning. Great. Go tell your friends, we're having a concert. They'll be, oh boy, you know, yeah, I'll be there, you know? Like, that's not going to connect to them the way it did back in the 70s. Times are changing. And this article was talking about this, and all of a sudden I felt this awareness and awakening that 
things have changed and I, I'm still on the dock and I'm waving goodbye to the boat. And I was like, I don't want to be on the dock when the boat's leaving. I need to get in the water. I need to get to that boat and I need to go wherever that boat's going because that's where God is going. And I want to be a part of those things that he's doing. And so pretty soon I became aware of just the conversations I was having and that I was hearing other people have, especially with people outside the church. And the conversations were trying to answer questions that people weren't even asking anymore. And it was like we were in our own little dialogue and we would talk about our own little things and the world kept moving forward. It's like we had brick cell phones and everyone else had smartphones. And we're trying to get them to say, no, you need to to get one of these brick phones. They're the best. And so people remember the way things used to be. I remember school when we had cursive writing. Man, they don't have cursive writing anymore. We need to have cursive writing. Got to tell you, got to let it go. There'll be a place for cursive writing, calligraphy. There'll be artwork and things like that. But let's face it, the computer has taken over and it's not what is important. And if you're holding on to that, you have to have cursive writing, the ship is left. Oh, man, you know, I can remember when they used to pray in school. I don't remember that, but if you do, you know, I I remember we used to do this. We need to get that prayer back in school. That's what the country needs. I got to tell you, that boat has left. If you're just trying to get prayer back in schools, you're having the wrong conversation. That conversation was 50 years ago. And you're having it today. And the boat's sailing and you're trying to grab hold to the past. And you're missing the future because you're having the wrong conversation. See, the first step toward change is awareness. The reason we set things up here this morning like this was to provoke change, to make you feel uncomfortable. And I bet you don't feel as uncomfortable as I do. (laughs) But it was to make you feel like, what's going on? Where do I sit? I don't usually sit facing someone. I usually fit face you. I go, welcome to my world. Okay, you guys see each other. It was to provoke that awkward feeling. Well, I usually sit on the left-hand side, but which is now left center? How does this work? Where am I supposed to sit? It was to provoke that change, you see, but the first step in dealing with this is awareness. You come in and you're aware. Things are different. It's not how it used to be. You become aware of that. But then after the awareness, there comes an acceptance. This is how it is. See, what would happen if you came in and you said, okay, I'm aware things aren't set up the same way, but you didn't accept it. So you started putting the chairs and trying to straighten them out the way they used to be, right? Oh, I want to put this chair over here. It's like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? I'm sitting here. Well, this isn't right. This isn't how we do things. I need to change it how I was. No, you need to accept how it is. You see, the third thing is, if you don't accept how things are, you will not be able to move into the future to where you need to be because you're not accepting the reality that you're living in. And I've got to tell you, the reality we're living in is a lot different than the reality we were living in 10 years ago, 20 years ago. 
the culture is changing and the conversation is changing. And some people are holding on to the old conversation, the good old days, and they don't realize that they're not accepting the changes that have taken place. They're not accepting or recognizing what the landscape is. And so the dialogue we have with the people outside of faith starts to lose its meaning because we're not engaging them in the way that we would or should have gone. It's important that we see this because if we don't, we'll be stuck in our old ways and we'll start dwindling. Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. We're not going to reach the world by trying to go back to a conversation that the world has left. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't true. It doesn't mean that love and the love of Christ isn't what people need. It just means how we communicate that needs to be relevant to the people that we are talking to. We need to engage them and we need to be ready to have those conversations. And so this core value that we call it, this what matters most, is that relevance to culture is not optional. That if you're going to have a conversation with people, you need to have the right conversation with the people that you are talking to. When we go to Mexico and I go to Mexico, I have a few friends who speak English. And so I'm really close to them because I don't speak Spanish. And that language barrier is huge. And it's so frustrating because I know if I was three years old, I could learn Spanish like that. But now the rigidity in my brain, and it doesn't want to, to think outside of the norms that I start hearing things in. And pretty soon it's more difficult because I'm set in my ways. See, when I hear the word casa, I think casa means house. But that's not what casa means. Casa is a place that people live in. That's what a casa is. Just like a house is a place that people live in. See, what I want to do is take that word and make it mean what my word means, but that word means actually something in itself. And we do that, and so many times we want to bring conversations into what we want it to mean, not recognizing that it's actually connected to something outside of us. And so the language becomes difficult because I don't speak that language. And I can't communicate because I'm not fluent in that. And so I, I wonder how many people who are in the church are fluent with the dialogue that's going around outside of the church. How many of you know what uh, the favorite books are that people are reading? How many of you know what uh, the favorite musicians are that people are listening to? How many of you listen to those things? How many of you know what the favorite TV shows are? How many of you are, are connected to the, uh, the same dialogue? And it's happening. I think a lot of people, I mean... TED Talks. Who listens to TED Talks? I love TED Talks. Not this TED, but, you know, the TED Talks. 
When this TED talks, it's good too, but... You see, but this is now the conversation. And so what are people listening to? And so if they're listening to Christopher Hitchens, what are you going to do when they start talking to you about the questions they have or Sam Harris or whoever it is? Are are you in that conversation? And what do they need? You see, do you understand the times? Do you recognize what needs to take place? Because all this desire for information is there to try and satisfy a hunger that is there for something more. It's there to connect to something else. I was talking to my daughter last night and we were talking about just the miracle of childbirth as she's studying to become a nurse and how amazing it is and how her instructor said, well, this happens and this happens. And if you don't see that something big is designed this, I don't know what to tell you. That was her instructor, what they said. So there is a conversation that is underneath all these other conversations. You talk to someone and they say, they can tell you why a sunset is beautiful, how the colors take place in the atmosphere, and they can give you all the information. But what they can't tell you is why does it move you viscerally in your soul? Why do you feel like God is speaking to you when you hear the ocean or the stream or see the sunset or that breathtaking view? Why does something take place in you? You see, there is another conversation that we can have even if we don't have all the answers that we can start to point them to. I remember talking to a person who I was sharing faith with and they were adamant evolution is all there is. There is no creation, there is evolution. And I just said, do you ever feel like you have this question like God is there and you just can't get it out of your mind? He goes, yeah. I go, that's God. He's like a parasite in your brain. He's just there. And and you think, oh, no, this and this, and this is all proof that God's not there. But I wonder, why do you wonder? That's just God whispering to your soul. You see, your soul knows he's there before your mind understands it. And he ended up coming to a place of faith, not because I proved evolution wrong, but because I answered the questions in his soul with the truth that Jesus reveals that love is really what you need and God is love. And God has to deal with the brokenness of who you are and of who I am. And so we need to step in to this newer conversation. I had a coffee with Justin Sapp who spoke here a few times this past week. And he was telling me that he was at a church and the church was all excited because they had a spoken word thing. He goes, oh, they were all excited. They were all patting themselves on the back. You know, you did the spoken word thing. And he said, but I remember you guys did that grassroots thing, you know, like two years ago. And I was like, yeah, that was us. Yeah, we did that. But that was two years ago. And, And you see, the challenge for me and for us at Genesis is how do we move from where we are to where we want to be? How do we see the times and understand them? Because are we being effective communicating this faith to those who are outside of us? Remember our values. We talked about connection to life with God and connecting others to the life of God is the first foundational thing, the most important thing. 
God is love and represented and clearly seen through Jesus. That was the second thing, that love is the context of all mission. Last week, we talked about how we all are a part of this, that structure always submits to spirit. And the spirit dwells in people, not in structures, not in organizations, but in us. And so we are all a part of the work of God. Remember, we don't go to church. We are the church. And now relevance to culture is not optional. We need to be talking and engaging into the world around us. And frankly, we need to do a better job. I need to do a better job. I need to step outside of these walls. That's the one thing in that article that I was reading. I was working at a church and I was spending all my time inside a building and I wasn't communicating to anyone outside of those people who were in part of the church. How many friends do you have who are not believers in Jesus? How many times do you go out to eat with someone who is not a follower of Christ? How involved are you in the lives of those who are outside of faith? And if you're not, then do you realize how unlike Jesus that is, who was the friend of sinners? And so these are the areas where we have to step in and involve ourselves in and learn how to have that conversation. We too need to understand the times and know what we should do. These mighty men of David are the reason David became king. They're the reason that he conquered and overtook those who were against him because they recognized something was going on and they stepped into it. They were ferocious and it wasn't easy and it wasn't comfortable but it was necessary. And I don't want to be comfortable. Tomorrow or next week, we'll set the chairs in a triangle if we need to, okay? It's like, let's push and push until we break the mold that we are in and until we start breaking out life. Let's push the mold that we are in until it crumbles and can't stand without the revelation of God supporting us and moving us forward. Let's push forward so that the work of God takes place in each of us and we are having the right conversation with the right people and pointing them to the truth. Let's pray. Father, I want to know what you are doing, not only today, but where you are working and leading tomorrow. Father, I know you have used us as a community to touch the lives in Haiti and in Mexico and even with the Healthy Start program here. I know that this social endeavor has given us a voice to many, but Father, we want to have more of a voice. Lord, we are not here just to bring food and not just to bring clothes and not just to bring help. 
that's part of our message, but you are the heart of that message. And so, Lord, help us to break out of just the church mold of coming here and doing church, and let's take who we are out there. Let's have the conversations with those people who need to hear them. Let's know where they are at and what words we need to say. Let us learn the language of the culture we are living in so that we can engage it effectively and can communicate you clearly. And Lord, I, I pray for this community and I pray for all those who are here and those who, who aren't here who are part of our community celebrating Father's Day or, or whatnot, Lord, might you knit our hearts together in purpose and in love. Father, might we have a solidarity like these mighty men. Might we be ferocious. Might we have faces like lions and move like gazelles. Might we be willing to adapt and adjust to whatever situation comes our way. Do what is necessary to move forward. Lord, we often say that we want to make history, but to make history, you need to create a future. Lord, might we be a part of the future you are creating. Might we embrace it. Might we not shy away from it. Might we have the difficult conversations even with ourselves, recognizing what things are, accepting how things are, and moving from there so that we can be effective in what you are doing. Thank you for this morning, Lord, and I pray you would bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. May you not let the fear of the future keep you living in the past. May you recognize the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is shaping what tomorrow looks like and be a part of that work. God bless you guys. Stick around. Enjoy each other's company. Talk to you later. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.